Hey everybody, thanks again for joining us for SCF Online. Um, if you are watching this as it goes live on uh, YouTube, Sunday, March 13th, happy Sunday to you. For me, it's actually Thursday. Uh, today is Thursday, March 10th. And uh, so we uh, film some of these components for our online service throughout the week. And um, so today being Thursday is a, it's an anniversary of sorts, a sad anniversary of sorts. It was two weeks ago today that the invasion into Ukraine began. And I'm sure that you, like I have, have been watching uh, the news, we've seen the footage, we've heard the stories, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. The pain, the destruction, the, the death, the suffering is unimaginable. And uh, two weeks it's been going on. And so our missions committee here at Sobel Church wanted to do something to help. Certainly we can't do everything, but we can do something. And so our missions committee said, let's, um, let's fill this bucket with humanitarian uh, items to, to help. And let's fill 29 other buckets just like it with uh, humanitarian supplies that will help. And uh, so our board then, uh, as they became aware of this initiative to fill 30 buckets like this, they said, well, we'll also fill uh, 30 buckets. They'll supply the funding from our Good Works Fund to fill an additional 30. So we're looking at 60 uh, buckets. And to do this, we partner with MCC. And, and, and MCC stands for Mennonite Central Committee. And um, you can think of MCC like a first cousin to our denomination. Our denomination is BIC. We're uh, the B in Christ Church of Canada. Uh, sometimes we just get called BIC, uh, which is fine. Um, we were BIC long before the uh, Penn people. Our denomination has been operating in Canada for over 200 years. And um, so we partner, our denomination, BIC, partners with MCC in um, matters of global relief, disaster assistance, and so on. And certainly what's happening in Ukraine is disastrous and there is a need for relief. And so we're partnering with them to fill 60 buckets with humanitarian items like uh, shampoo and soap and combs, toothbrushes, towels and band-aids and, and things like that. And, uh, and those will get to Ukraine as, as quickly as possible. And, and I can't say for certain that they'll all be um, going into Ukraine. Certainly, I think it was just yesterday, I read something that said uh, about 2.1 million Ukrainians are seeking refuge in neighboring countries like uh, Poland and Moldova and um, uh, uh, Romania and, and elsewhere. And so the need is uh, spread out, uh, certainly beyond just uh, the Ukraine. And so uh, one way that you can help, well, there, really there's three ways that you can help with this uh, initiative. One way is to pray. And we have been praying uh, these last couple of weeks in particular, praying for, praying for peace, um, 
And you know, the fact that we, we stand with Ukraine in this does not somehow mean that we stand against Russia. This is not a political thing. We're not making any kind of a political statement with these buckets. Our heart is not for Ukraine politically. Our heart is for Ukraine because they're in need. And uh, our heart is for Russia. Um, you know, we read in scripture over and over and over how God's heart is with the oppressed, with those who are suffering. And certainly uh, there are many Ukrainians who are suffering right now, but we're praying for the church in Ukraine and the church in Russia for followers of Jesus in both of these places and the surrounding uh, countries for believers in Jesus to stand strong for peace, to, to wage peace. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, blessed are the merciful. As followers of Jesus, we're a people who love mercy. And so we're praying for uh, followers of Jesus in Russia and in Ukraine to really um, to stand strong for Jesus and to, to work together for peace. And um, so one way that you can help is to pray and to pray for the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ to just flow in amidst the grief and amidst um, the suffering that the peace of Jesus would, would rule. And so please pray. Another way that you can help is by purchasing items for these buckets. And uh, to find out exactly what goes in the buckets, it's, it's quite specific. Um, these are like five gallon pails and it's surprising how much can go in here. And if you go onto our website, which is sobblechurch.ca, if you go to events, um, and Dave's probably gonna have a, a link uh, on the screen here as I'm talking, uh, but you can go to sobblechurch.ca, you can go to events, and you will find, if you just kind of uh, work your way through there, you'll find all of the contents. It's very, very specific what goes in these buckets, and it's very specific what doesn't go in. And so we've had lots of people who've been shopping and purchasing items for these buckets, and those items can uh, come here to the church. But another way uh, that you can give uh, is to go again to our website, sobblechurch.ca, and go to the, to the giving tab, um, which will take you to our online uh, giving platform. And um, what you can do there under normal circumstances, you can designate there to the general fund or to missions or to benevolent or to the mortgage. Well, right now, if you go to that little drop down menu, uh, you'll see that missions says missions MCC bucket. So right now our, our online missions giving is gonna to go to this project and you can, um, you can give there. We've estimated that it is gonna take about $60 to fill a bucket. And um, so $60 would, would, would fill a bucket, 120 would fill two, you can do the math obviously. Any amount is helpful, $10, $5, $30, um, so helpful, the need is huge and it's immediate. And um, you know, if you, if you will uh, help fund this project, we've got people who do the shopping, all right? We've got people who are great shoppers. And uh, if they have the opportunity to buy in bulk, uh, can do really, really well. Um, yeah, so let's be praying and let's be giving and um, let's be praying that God would take these 
items as they are sent, as we partner our missions committee and our board and our Good Works Fund and, and the, our partners at MCC, that God would use this to bring encouragement and to bring meaningful help in Jesus' name to the beautiful people in Ukraine who are suffering in unimaginable ways. So thank you in advance for uh, partnering with us in this project. While we wanna move into our teaching time, we're in a series that we're calling um, Teamwork, and you can see that on the screen. We're working our way through Colossians chapter four, verses seven to 14. And uh, what we're looking at here in this uh, little section of verses at the tail end of the book of Colossians, Paul identifies eight teammates, eight people who, um, stuck by him in ministry, eight people who assisted him in ministry, eight people actually without whom Paul could not have done what he did. Nobody can do it by themselves, not even Paul. And uh, so Paul identifies eight of his teammates. And so in this series, we're just going through these verses, Colossians 4, 7 to 14. If you have your Bible, you can have it open there. And Paul just gives a shout out to each of these eight. And so we're just uh, looking at these names where we're identifying the story that we know about these people. And really, uh, we're looking at this um, to be instructional for us, to help us to learn how to be great teammates on, uh, on Team Jesus. Uh, and here at SCF and SCF Online, we want to be a team together serving Jesus and seeing the kingdom of Jesus advance. And it takes teamwork. It's, you know, uh, it's the body of Christ we're all needed. And uh, so uh, we began a couple of weeks ago in this series looking at these teammates. And so I want to read, uh, I'm going to read these verses. You can follow along on, on the screen or in your Bible at home. Uh, this is Colossians 4, uh, 7 to 14. And you'll see the names of the teammates in yellow. So Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. So remember, Paul is writing this from Rome. He's in uh, jail. He's under house arrest. He's literally chained to guards. He's not going anywhere. And so that is where Paul is writing from. And so Tychicus, remember we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. He's the guy that Paul is going to uh, take this letter to the Colossians and he's going to hand it to Tychicus along with the letter to the Ephesians along with a letter to Philemon. Tychicus is going to literally hand deliver these three letters, these three um, letters that are part of our New Testament. And so Tychicus, in order to hand deliver these letters, he crosses Italy on foot. He sails the Adriatic. He then crosses Greece on foot, sails the Aegean, lands at the port city of Miletus, climbs a very steep Lycus River Valley, and then marches inward past Laodicea to Colossae. It's a huge trip. And he delivers the goods. He delivers these letters, these inspired Holy Spirit letters that are part of our New Testament. We have them in part because of Tychicus and his faithfulness uh, to this task. And so Paul says, um, he, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Onesimus, is a, he's a Colossian. And so we talked about Onesimus, and remember, he was the, the slave. Onesimus was a slave in Colossae in the household of a guy named Philemon. 
And Onesimus didn't uh, care much for being a slave, and he ran away, but not before stealing a bunch of stuff from Philemon, and he runs as fast and as far away as he possibly can. In fact, he runs all the way to Rome and runs right into the Apostle Paul. Paul leads Onesimus to Christ, and then Onesimus is just really helpful to Paul in his ministry. And now Paul is writing a letter to Philemon, and he's writing it about Onesimus. And Paul writes to Philemon and, and, and says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. He ran away from you, uh, Philemon, as a slave, as a thief, a runaway. I'm sending him back to you, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So welcome him back as a brother. And, and, and we know that Onesimus does return to Colossae, returns to Philemon as a brother in Christ. And in fact, Onesimus would later on become pastor of the Colossian church. It's amazing he goes from being Philemon's slave to being Philemon's pastor. Uh, only the gospel of Jesus can bring about such radical transformation as that. Well, let's keep reading uh, this passage. They, uh, Tychicus and Onesimus, will tell you everything that is happening here. Uh, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. So we talked about Aristarchus a couple of weeks ago, and that phrase, my fellow prisoner in Greek, uh, literally means one caught with a spear, one caught with a spear. In other words, Aristarchus, in Paul's estimation, is like the guy who's willing to take a bullet. He's willing to be caught up as collateral damage. He's willing to put himself in harm's way, and he's willing to pay a price to see the gospel of Jesus advance, to see the kingdom of Jesus move forward. Aristarchus is just a guy. He's not a preacher. He's not delivering letters. He doesn't have a crazy backstory like Onesimus does. He's just a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes, including taking a bullet to see the ministry, uh, the kingdom of Jesus move forward. So my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. We talked a little bit about Mark uh, this past Sunday in, in our live stream with baptisms and, and all of the other good things that were part of that service. I want to say a couple of more things about Mark, but let's just uh, finish reading this passage first. So as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor and Demas send greetings. Well, we're going to talk about Mark just a little bit. We, we touched on, on this last week, but I want to just add a couple of thoughts and then we'll, we'll move on to the rest of the team. So Mark, uh, you may know him better as John Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas. And Paul wrote of him these rather interesting words. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so we asked the question uh, last week, well, why would Paul have to write to the Colossians saying, hey, if, if, Mark, John, if, if John Mark shows up at your doorstep, you make sure you welcome him. Why did Paul have to add that information? Well, it's because Mark had a reputation as a quitter. Uh, Mark had a reputation that when the going got tough, he would bail out, he'd quit. Years earlier, 
uh, Paul, along with Barnabas, were excitedly planning their first missionary journey. We read about that in Acts chapter 13. And so they're planning this uh, missionary journey. They've got their team together. And so Barnabas um, says to Paul, hey, I think it would be great if we brought along my cousin, John Mark. I think he can be really helpful to us. And so Paul said, yeah, uh, bring him along. And so they begin this missionary journey. And, and uh, we read about it in Acts 13. And, and we read this from Paphos. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. This uh, was a point in the trip that was going to be very, very dangerous. In fact, the most dangerous part of the trip, they had to, um, they had to uh, cross through some mountains to get into Galatia. And these mountains that they had to cross were well-known uh, havens for thieves who would rob passers-by. And uh, so at this point, this dangerous point in the journey, John Mark says, I'm out, I'm out. And he left them holding the bag well, if you fast forward um, to Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are planning their second missionary journey. And um, well, let's just read about that. So here's what happens. Acts 15, they're planning the second missionary journey and Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. In other words, he deserted them last time. Uh, so Paul doesn't think it's a good idea to take him this time on the second missionary journey. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Well, by the time you get to Colossians chapter 4, when Paul's in house arrest and writing the letter to the Colossians, about 11 to 12 years have passed between this sharp disagreement and Paul writing the letter of Colossians. And in those 11 to 12 years, the relationship between uh, Mark, the quitter, and Paul, that relationship has been mended. It's been restored. There's been a reconciliation that has taken place because when Paul's writing Colossians, uh, Mark is with him, helping him in ministry. And you know, to say that that relationship was was restored is really inadequate because if you, um, if you fast forward right to the end of Paul's life or just before the end of Paul's life, um, Paul, again, at the end of his life, he finds himself in Rome. He's a prisoner once again, but not under house arrest. He's in a, he's in a dungeon and he's gonna be executed virtually at any moment. And so he writes one last letter. We know it as the letter called 2 Timothy. And he writes a letter to Timothy, basically saying, Timothy, the end is near. Um, could you please come and see me? In fact, look at this. This is 2 Timothy 4.11. Remember, Paul from a dungeon waiting for his execution writes to Timothy and says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. See, Paul's at the very end of his life he says, Luke is with me. Timothy, I want you to come and please make sure you bring Mark. Like this relationship is, it's not just patched up. It's not just uh, that they're friends again. There's this deep 
connection and love that has been restored that is amazing to the extent that Paul wants Mark with him in these last days of his life. That's a huge change. And uh, last week, as we were talking about this, we identified the fact that really it was Peter who was so instrumental in seeing this change in Mark's life. It was Peter in those intervening years between the argument in Acts 15 and, and uh, you know, Colossians 4, in those intervening years, it was Peter who took John Mark under his wing as kind of a reclamation project. And who better than Peter to do that? Peter who himself knew what it was to fail. He had been a failure. He denied Jesus. He, he um, utterly just went to pieces in that scene before the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. He knew what it was like to fail. And he knew what it was like to be restored back to active discipleship and passionate kingdom ministry. In fact, Peter was restored personally, lovingly by Jesus himself. And so who better than Peter to take John Mark, the quitter, under his wing and to help him back to active discipleship and to meaningful kingdom ministry. You know, friends, I'm sure that you, you know what it's like uh, to feel like Peter. I certainly do. We've all failed. And in that, there's something beautiful. There's something where each of us are equipped to help others find their way back to help others who've maybe made some choices that they regret. We're, we're kind of equipped by our own experience of failure to be able to, to help them back. There's a future for failures. There's a second chance. And uh, John Mark had a beautiful second chance here, in part thanks because of uh, Peter. And you know, Mark would go on to write a gospel, <laughs> something that only four people have ever experienced in the history of, uh, of uh, planet Earth. Mark writes the Gospel of Mark. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Jesus, who is called Justice. I just call him Jesus Justice. Uh, this guy's name is Jesus. It's like, thanks, Mom. Uh, I'm sure that name uh, was kind of challenging to, uh, to have. And so he's given a nickname. Uh, to distinguish him, yes, from that Jesus. And so they gave him the nickname Justice, J-U-S-T-U-S, and it means the righteous. Jesus, the righteous. See, in this day, when you received a nickname, it wasn't based on um, how you looked or anything like that. It was based on character. Nicknames were assigned based on character. This is Jesus uh, the righteous, the righteous. If you were to receive a nickname on the basis of your character, what would your nickname be? You know, if I were to assign a, uh, a nickname, say to my friend Winnie, who uh, I enjoy speaking with on the phone, I would assign a nickname like Prayer Warrior to somebody like Winnie because that's her character. She's a faithful woman of prayer. What would your nickname be if it were assigned you on the basis of your character? Well, in uh, verse 11, we read this. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. 
and they have proved a comfort to me. Who are the only Jews among my coworkers? Well, he's speaking specifically about uh, Jesus Justice, about John Mark, and about Aristarchus. Those are the three. Well, you say, well, what about Tychicus? What about Onesimus? Well, they're Gentiles. These are the only three Jews who were willing to work alongside Paul and uh, be a comfort to him. Um, for the most part, the Jews rejected Paul. Even the Jews who believed in Jesus and who embraced Jesus did not embrace Paul. Uh, Paul was um, largely rejected by the Jews. They just never fully gravitated to him. Only three Jews stood alongside Paul, shoulder to shoulder with him, in seeing the gospel move forward to the Gentiles. And it's these three guys, Aristarchus, the one willing to take a bullet, uh, John Mark, who was so helpful to me in my ministry, and uh, this guy, Jesus, the righteous. And so that tells us something about Jesus' justice, that here's a guy who's willing to be part of the minority. It's always easier and more comfortable to be part of the majority. But when you willingly step out to be part of the minority, well, that says something about you. And uh, Jesus' justice was willing to be a fellow worker alongside Paul for the kingdom. And Paul says these three uh, Jewish co-workers, well, they proved a comfort to me. That word uh, comfort is the Greek word paragoria. And uh, uh, you may have heard of a word paragoric uh, to describe a painkiller. And, um, you know, if you have surgery, you might be prescribed a painkiller because it's that painkiller that will help you to rest, that will bring some comfort, enable you to breathe more easily, allow you to, um, to heal. And, um, and that's really what Paul says about these three Jewish co-laborers. They, they were a paragoria. They gave me space to rest, to replenish, to heal, to recover. And um, that's a beautiful picture. And so Jesus' justice is this guy uh, willing to step out of the majority, willing to go against the flow, willing to walk away from the opinions of others and stand for Jesus, even at um, cost to himself. Well, let's talk about the next guy in line, Epaphras. Epaphras was um, he was the founder of the church at Colossae and also the pastor of the church at Colossae. You might be wondering, well, if Epaphras is the pastor of the Colossian church, why is he with Paul in Rome? Well, Pastor Epaphras went to see Paul in Rome because he was concerned about some error that had begun to creep into the Colossian church. And so Epaphras went to see Paul to get some wisdom from him, to get some insight and counsel from, from Paul. And so Epaphras brings this report to Paul and in response, Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. But Epaphras is not the one to take this letter back to Colossae. No, Tychicus does that. We've already talked about that because Epaphras is gonna stay with Paul a little bit uh, longer. And, and we read uh, this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. 
I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So he's one of you. He's a, he's a Colossian. He's the founder and pastor of the church. And at the, end of, um, at the end of verse 13, Paul refers to Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so Epaphras in his ministry was involved not only in Colossae, but in these other two uh, locations as well. Those Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis are like, it's like a tri-city kind of area, like a 10-mile radius. It'd be like, um, you know, Sobble Beach and Oliphant and Wyerton as a tri-city area. Um, that's kind of the area in which Epaphras was busy in uh, ministry. He's a servant, Paul says. That's the word doulos. Really, you could translate it as slave. So Epaphras is, is somebody who has um, surrendered himself, submitted himself in service to Jesus as king, as Lord. And what is Epaphras doing while he's with Paul, while he's praying? And how is he praying? Well, he's wrestling in prayer. He's wrestling in prayer, laboring in prayer, working hard in prayer. The Greek word that is translated uh, wrestling is the word agonizomai. And it's the word from which we get our English word agonize. So he's agonizing in prayer for you. This same word agonizomai is used in uh, John chapter 8, uh, 18 verse 36, and, and there it's translated fight. So you can think, you know, Epaphras is fighting for you in prayer. Uh, in Romans 15, 30, Paul, in fact, in that passage, Paul's inviting believers to pray for him, to fight for him in prayer. It's this word agonizomai. It's used in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 44. That's where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, you know, that not my will, but thy will be done prayer. And it's, it's, this word is used to describe the praying of Jesus, agonizomai, and it's translated anguish there in uh, Luke 22. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, the same word agonizomai is translated competes. And there Paul is, is giving the picture of a marathon runner who you know, runs that marathon and gets within a few hundred meters of the finish line and just sprints and leaves everything, you know, leaves it all on the track and then gets to the finish line and just strains toward that finish line. It's this word agonizomai, this idea of competing, going all in, uh, spending all the energy. And so uh, that's, how, that's how Epaphras prayed. And here's what he prayed. You know, that's how he prayed. He wrestled in prayer. And here's, here's what he prayed, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. God, that they may stand firm and fully assured, fully filled out, fully convinced, not knocked to and fro by false teachers. Remember, uh, Epaphras was concerned about error that was creeping into the, to the church. So Epaphras is a pastor who, who knows that success is not measured in how big your church building is or how big your budget is or how many people are in the, in the seats on a Sunday morning. Those things are all great. Buildings are great. Uh, budgets that are full and able to do great uh, funding of missional projects is awesome. And when you have a big crowd, well, that's terrific, but none of those things indicates missional success. 
Epaphras has a good idea that the ministry and missional success is about making disciples. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 28? We mentioned it last week. Uh, Jesus said, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, church, as you go, what? Build a big building? No. Um, uh, fill up a, a budget? No. Make a crowd? No. Make disciples. Make followers of Jesus apprentices of Jesus. And Epaphras knows that, that that kind of missional success is not going to happen without laboring in prayer. And here at SCF, we need people, um, people like Winnie, who are prayer warriors, who are willing to, to labor and wrestle and fight and compete in prayer. Well, let's talk about Luke. Luke, uh, Paul says, our dear friend, Luke, the doctor. So Luke was Paul's doctor. So here's a guy with specialized talent. Here's a guy with specialized training, and he brings that to the table in service of Jesus. If you read about, um, if you read in the book of Acts about Paul's first missionary journey, you would discover that Paul was sick just about all the time. And so it was on his second missionary journey that uh, Paul takes Luke with him on the journey. And, um, you know, the work of the kingdom of Jesus needs specialists. Not everybody needs to go to seminary. Uh, Luke was a specialist who brought his uh, particular skill set to the table uh, to be used in service of Jesus. And Luke may have given up... Uh, a lucrative medical practice to do that. I don't know. I don't even know if there was such a thing in the first century, but Luke took his skill set in service to Jesus um, in helping Paul. And Luke is a guy who's used by God to write 52 chapters of the New Testament. He writes, uh, obviously, the, the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke, but he's also the author of the book of Acts, a specialist with special talents that he offers to Jesus. And you know what, Luke? Luke was such a devoted friend to Paul. In fact, in that last letter that Paul writes, 2 Timothy, uh, here's what he says, only Luke is with me. Luke is with Paul right to the end, a faithful, loyal friend, companion, um, loved Paul, and Paul loved Luke. Well, usually in a sermon, you want to end on a high note uh, I feel like we're not so much going to do that today because I want to end up, this is the eighth of the eight uh, friends that Paul mentions, and it's Demas. We don't know a lot about Demas. All Paul said in that Colossians 4 passage was Demas sends greetings. Uh, doesn't tell us a whole lot of information. We, we do see uh, Demas's name in the letter to Philemon. So in that letter that Paul writes to Philemon about Onesimus, he mentions he mentions Demas and refers there to Demas as my fellow worker. So we know that Demas was alongside Paul helping in the ministry. But again, if you fast forward to the end of Paul's life and again to that last letter, 2 Timothy, that he writes, here's what we read. Paul, of course, is writing to Timothy and saying, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And you can almost feel the pain in Paul's heart as he writes those words, Demas has deserted me. 
And, you know, we don't know, um, we don't know exactly what it means because he loved this world. Because he loved this world. Was it money? Was it the things money can buy? I don't know. You know, I remember back in the 80s, um, my mom used to work at a Sears catalog store in Meaford. And uh, I remember going in the store back in the 80s. And um, I remember a time in the 80s when Sears had a particular uh, advertising slogan. I remember a poster of it in the store that said, there's more for your life at Sears. And it was a very popular uh, slogan and it had a catchy jingle that went along with it. But the only trouble is Jesus said that that's actually not true, that there's not more for your life at Sears or any other retail outlet where you can get stuff because Jesus in fact said in Luke chapter 12, hey, beware of greed, he said, because a person's life does not consist in the abundance of things that you can buy at Sears or any other store. In Matthew 6, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. It's like Jesus identified money as the one thing more than any other thing that will compete with him for our allegiance. In fact, Jesus places money almost like a competing deity that you can't serve God and money because money is like something that is going to try and, and uh, draw away your worship and draw away your attraction and draw away your imagination from your worship of God. So did Demas, was it a money thing? Was it a stuff that money can buy? We don't know. What we do know is that it is heartbreaking when people walk away. And you know, there are people walking away today, perhaps in record numbers, so much so that there has been a word coined that is now part of our evangelical uh, lexicon. And it's the word deconversion. And it's a word being uh, used to describe people who are just walking away, who are saying, I just can't believe that anymore. What the church is selling, I just can't believe that anymore. And it's heartbreaking. And you know, when you, if you, if you look into it and you have conversations with those who are deconverting, what you find is that it's, it's, it's not very often anything to do with Jesus. More often, it's something that the church has kind of put in their way and they just are saying, I, can't, I just can't buy that anymore. And it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, we've got... This is an interesting time, this, um, you know, as we're moving out of pandemic into more uh, endemic life, living with instead of trying to uh, isolate from uh, COVID. And we're seeing, in, in kind of unprecedented numbers, we're seeing a migration of, of Christians between churches. And, and you know what? Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes the spirit kind of leads in that and there's a new start and, and, and fresh uh, fresh new starts for people and for churches as well. And sometimes God kind of leads in that process. And there are times where people, you know, maybe like Demas, just deconvert, they're out. I just can't believe that anymore. And like I say, a lot of times that has stuff to do, not with Jesus, but with stuff that we have kind of put in people's way. And that's really sad. 
But there's a lot of Christian people who before COVID were very, you know, I guess you might say they were very regular uh, church participants or attenders or whatever kind of language that you'd want to use. And, and now there's so many who are just, they haven't quit. They're, they haven't deconverted. They haven't left. They just haven't come back either online or in person. They're just feeling kind of indifferent. And you know, I think pastors like me are partly responsible for that sense of indifference for a segment of the evangelical population who have just um, kind of lost passion. And in part, I think it's because pastors like me our passions at times have become misplaced. And our passions have been tied to buildings and to budgets and to, to, to crowds and things like that. And because our passions have been kind of misplaced, it has caused people to have some misdirected passions. And, and maybe people who were very passionate about a full room aren't nearly as passionate about a room that's maybe 42% full misdirected passions. Our passions are to be about the mission, not about buildings. Buildings are great. Not about budgets. Budgets are great. Not about crowds. Crowds are great. What we're to be passionate about is the mission that Jesus gave us to make disciples. That's where our passion needs to be. And um, well, we need people in SCF Online and SCF Church. We need people like Tychicus. You know, we're, we're talking, uh, we're talking team, teamwork here. We need people like Tychicus, people who are bold, people who are willing to be like Jesus in the sense that they haven't come to be served, but to serve and to pour out uh, for others. And at SCF, we, you know, we welcome people like Onesimus, people with history, people with baggage, people who have a difficult story. Because it, at SCF Online and SCF Church, we, we uh, believe everyone deserves a second chance and we love a good comeback story. And at SCF, we, you know, we need people like Aristarchus, who was just a guy. He didn't have like special talents or abilities. He was just a guy willing to do whatever it took to see the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus advance willing to take a bullet, willing to, to put himself in harm's way if needed, willing to, to pay whatever the cost was to serve Jesus, he was willing to pay that price. And we need, you know, well, let me say this, we welcome, at SCF, we welcome people like John Mark. People who had a great start and then, you know, failed or quit or bailed or blew it. And here, as, as we mentioned earlier at SCF, we all know what it's like to be Peter. Peter failed. We know what that's like. And so we are perfectly equipped to help others like the John Marks of the world to make a comeback into active discipleship and, and um, actively uh, serving uh, the needs of the kingdom. At SCF, we need people like Jesus Justice, Jesus the Righteous a guy who's willing to step out of the, the majority and go against the flow and, and take a stand uh, for Jesus. 
and to take a stand for seeing the gospel move forward. And at Sabo, we need, we need prayers like Epaphras. People are willing to agonize in prayer, to wrestle in prayer, to compete, to fight in prayer, that people may stand firm and stand fully assured in the will of God as disciple-making disciples. And at SCF, we need people like Luke, specialists. What are you good at? What kind of training might you have? I, uh, I think if we, if we uh, put our heads together, we can find out ways to harness uh, your training and your gift and your skill set into uh, ways to help uh, the mission move forward. We need people like Luke willing to bring that skill set to the table in service of Jesus. And at Sabo, we've got a soft spot for Demas. We've got a soft spot for the Demases, for, for people who stop believing. Maybe they're, you know, loving the world um, and it's money or things that money can buy that have distracted them away. You know, we've got a soft spot for them. People who say, you know what, I just can't believe that anymore. Um, we've got a soft spot for, for people who just stop believing. And in some cases, the church has put things in their way. And you know, if you've, maybe, maybe you feel a bit like that. Maybe you feel like you're in this moment of deconversion. I want you to know, I sympathize with you in that. I sympathize with that. I understand where you're coming from. And you know what? I would love to hear your story. My email address is chris at sobblechurch.ca. I would love to hear your story. And um, I'd love to talk to you about that. And uh, anyway, this is teamwork. We're all in this together. And, you know, this is the body of Christ. Everybody... Everybody's important, everybody's needed. And uh, you know, we started this series by talking about finding your fit. And um, I pray that the Spirit of God would just be stirring in your heart, helping you to see uh, where you can engage to help see the mission of Jesus move forward. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you invite us to be co-laborers with you. That with you, we get to do important and meaningful work with you, Jesus, with you. Co-laboring with you to see your kingdom advance, to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. What a privilege to partner with you in that. Thank you for inviting us into that. You could have done the whole thing on your own, but you're so gracious and merciful to invite us in. And thank you for the church. Thank you that we get to be part of your body and, and to serve together, to fill buckets together, to worship together, to love others together. And so Holy Spirit, would you please give us your vision for teamwork, your vision to see how we're better together and would you please help us to set the sail of our SCF ministry to catch the wind of where you're moving. 
And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body, the one to whom has been given all authority. Amen. God bless you. See you soon.